we give another round of applause for what God has done through the worship team and Rabina? It's an exciting day today because it's the day the Lord has made. And, and there's a Super Bowl later. I know everyone's wearing a lot of different clothes today, a lot of rivals. I've already heard like, you know, people going to shake hands and they're like, oh my goodness, why are you wearing that? That's a good thing the Lord looks at the heart and we get hung up on the outside. It's what inside that matters. Uh, so I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, I am wearing like a 14-year-old English soccer jersey. So that's all I own, and so I'm not super big into football, but I did Google, so I'm excited to see the Miami Heat play the Cavs later. That'll be fun. Uh, no, I actually, I rarely miss the, uh, the big game each year. It's probably the only game. It's usually the only game I watch every year, but it's because it has good food and sometimes funny commercials, and that's why I'm, I'm usually there. But I came across a video that I actually want to start um, by playing this morning. So this guy is a tight end for the Eagles, and his name is Zach Ertz, or something like that. But he was asked about three days ago, three or four days ago, about his faith in Christ and the role that Christ is playing in his like, platform, just being a star football player. So let, let's watch this. Hopefully you can hear this. It's awesome. I love how he says, Faith in football this Sunday is going to be huge, and uh, that's what I'm preaching on. I was like, yes! So that, that was an easy video to choose. Very awesome. So instead of, I'm foregoing my tradition of picking the team based on their helmet and jersey color, I'm actually going to go for the Eagles this year, because that was cool. <coughs> their helmet's not that bad either, but Zach Hurts, going for him. So this morning, we're, we're going to continue through the sermon series. We're working on the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. We're on the second uh, recorded testimony in John, and this one is uh, called the, the Healing of the Official's Son. And so we'll see in the story that there is a very desperate father whose son is dying, and he comes to Jesus with a request. And uh, as I was studying this and just reading through this, I couldn't, here's a picture of my son, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like if something was, you know, wrong with Malachi. Um, he's one, he'll be two soon and thought that was a cool photo pose. Um, but he, I just, just thinking about this father and what, what was going through his heart and mind as he makes the journey to go see Jesus in the nearby town, like just that stress and worry knowing that my son is dying and leaving my son it would just almost be unheard of, making a journey that long away. So as we, as we read through this story, uh, just put yourself in the, the position of the father to kind of see... Um, the, the journey he goes on with his faith as he trusts in Jesus and Jesus' words. Um, and I, I also just was wondering, asking myself, would I respond the way this father responds to the words of Christ? Like Christ spoke to him and he, and he believed it. And uh, so just as we go through, just be asking that, um, would we respond the same way? And the other thing, we, we can all remember, we all know of a time when God asked us to do something, step out in faith, go in a direction, or um, he needed to correct what we were doing, uh, changing some of our behavior and patterns, and, and we wondered, did we have faith in who God says he is, and who, who God is, and what he can do to enable us to obey? So um, just those two questions kind of had those in the forefront as we, we go through this story. Just remember those. This is, lucky for us, faith is a recurring theme in the Bible. Right? There are just tons and tons of stories. So this is just one of them. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go through this text. You're starting John uh, chapter 4, verse 43. 
So if you have your Bibles, you want to you follow along, it'll be helpful. We're going we're gonna to go right down uh, through the text, and I'm just going to pause and kind of share in between the verses, uh, but we'll be moving around in that text a little bit as we talk our way through. John 4, 43 through 54, the healing of the official son. So this is how it starts. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, when we read a verse like that, and it says, after the two days, we kind of need to stop, because we can't just plow on through the, the passage without knowing what, what he's talking about there. Nothing in the gospel is just random. It's all there for a reason. So after the two days, you actually have to back up and look in verse 42 and before to see that Jesus just got done spending two days with the Samaritans, nearby region, and he had an interaction with a woman at a well, and just because of the things he said to her, she believed that he who he was who he said he was, and that he could do the things that he said he could do. And she ran to the town and told them, and they all got excited and came, and Jesus spent two days pretty much with a little mini revival in this little Samaritan village. Um, and for two days he taught them, and they listened. And then this is what they said. So they turned to the woman. They, they said to the woman in verse 42, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And this is important because... John, the person writing this book, has a reason for writing the book, and this is it. He says it himself in chapter 20 at the end of his book. He says, I've written all these miraculous things down, these signs and wonders, so that you, the reader, would know that God is God, and that by believing in him, you could have eternal life in his name, or you could have life to the full, right? So that's, that's the whole purpose of why we have a John. Why is there a book of John? And so we see here, these people, and you're going to see that several times in these stories where John points out, I want, I want you to know, they interacted with God, and now their lives are different because of him. So there they go. We no longer believe just because of you. We've heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So that's the Samaritan's response to Jesus. They recognized him for who he was, and they acknowledged he could do the things he said he could do. So let's move on. 45, 46. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he, t- he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So Jesus had just recently been in Jerusalem, and since it was a big feast, all the Jews came down to Jerusalem to be there. So they saw Jesus do some other miraculous signs that John doesn't give us the details of, Right? So they, they had seen Jesus, the miracle worker, and they were excited about that. And so we see there's a different response here. They didn't receive Jesus like the Samaritans did, trusting him as Savior and as God. They saw him as a miracle worker, and they were waiting for him to do some cool stuff, right? Maybe some more wine, the water into wine tricks he had. Um, he just had a different response than the Samaritans. And just a little note, we don't know a lot about uh, Cana, other than it was rather small and insignificant, uh, but Jesus went there several times. In fact, he, there were prophecies that Jesus would spend considerable amount of time in the Galilean region, bringing light to those people, light of the world, like what we just, we just heard. Uh, there's actually verses in Isaiah that say that Jesus would be a light to the Galileans, the people living in Judea. And uh, this region was constantly attacked from, from Gentiles in the area. And so Jesus kept going back there. And we know one of his disciples was from there, so there could have been like personal reasons too that he kept visiting that place. And then we know, we know even less about the guy, the father himself. 
It just says he's a royal official. Uh, Some say he might have worked for Herod in Herod's court, but we don't really know that. Uh, But we do know the state of his soul because his son is dying. And we know that what that would do to anyone when you know someone close to you who's dying, especially um, a child. So we, we kind of know his panic desperation there. And we'll see that in a minute. Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. See, they're begging him with just desperation. I would be on my knees in tears going, Jesus, come back with me. And listen, Jesus, this is, this is interesting. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, he's looking at a man who believes that Jesus can come and do that. He just, made a tra- he just traveled a long distance to come beg Jesus to go back. Jesus is here mainly remarking on the spiritual condition of the entire region. All these people who want things from Jesus. They want him to give good gifts, those signs, those miracles. They're excited and all jazzed about that. Uh, He's not necessarily talking directly to this man uh, and saying that he doesn't have enough faith, because he does. So listen to this. This is the, the next two verses here, 49 and 50. This is where you just see faith in action. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. This is all Jesus says. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man, and this is pivotal, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Just like that. I believe what you say is true, and I'm going to go. He didn't beg him, but ah, every other miracle I've heard you, you came, you touched them, you prayed. Could you come and, you know, do that in my house? Can you bless my house and be there? He just said, nope, your son will live, and he goes, peace, I'm leaving. That's amazing. Just to have faith like that, to hear the word of God in your life and, and, or read the word of God and know that it's for you and just trust it right there. Take God at his word. You know what's interesting? So that's amazing right there that he just trusted God and left. But I have a map to show you where he lived. So he lives up there by the Sea of Galilee and it's some 16 to 20 miles as the crow flies. Um, I don't know what the you know, meandering roads were like back then, but I'm just, this is like a four and a half hour journey. And if I'm a panic-stricken father, I can probably make that in less than two hours. Like, I don't know if I'm renting a horse or donkeys or whatever they had, but I think I could sprint that to get back to my dying son really quickly. But we're going to read the next few verses. He didn't, he didn't leave. In fact, he spent the night and continued on his journey the next day. And I think that's incredible. I like to point out that when he came to Jesus, he was in full crisis mode, Right? His world is falling apart. His son is dying. I mean, I, don't talk to me when I'm in that. I'm just not going to be spewing happy joy. It's a mess. But after Jesus says your son is going to live, he's confident enough to hang out and not rush home to spend those precious few moments. He knows Jesus did something right there, and his son is alive. Listen to this. You've got to see it. The next verse says, While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. See, that's amazing. He had faith, confident faith in the word of God that he was not even in a panic, stressful, worry state to rush home. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea and to Galilee. That's incredible. And I, I just want to point out just those three stages. I mentioned he, he had his crisis moments, right, where everything was up in the air, and he's coming to Jesus. And that's, I think we can relate to that man, even if we haven't had a harrowing experience like losing or almost losing a child. Like, we know that I've come to my end of myself. Jesus, oh my word, if you don't intervene right now, 
I've got nothing. I need you, Jesus. That desperation. I, I think most of us were at that point. Okay, back up. I think all of us were at that point when we first surrendered to Jesus Christ and accepted him as Lord and Savior. I mean, we came to the end. We had nothing. Ex- we just knew Jesus is the only way that we're going to be free from our sin. Right? So I think that crisis faith, we kind of know. But then confident faith. The dad confidently trusts the word of God, so much so that he delays heading home. And then his faith, he gets home and he tells that story. Now he has a crazy, contagious faith. So the faith of this man, he tells the story of what Jesus just did and his entire household is saved. A royal man like that, his wife, his kids, he might probably have servants, right? They all are impacted by the story, the testimony of what God has done in his life, right? Isn't that amazing? This is what I, I started asking myself now, do I have faith like that? And, and is this the way I live? Do, do I read scripture, interact with the Holy Spirit, and then change the way I live on a daily basis because of those things? Like, is it obvious to the people around me that I have a, I have a confident and contagious faith because of my t- time spent with the Word, time spent with the Lord? Thank you. Now, still, I was asking those questions. <laughs> so, um, I, think, I think there are several things that we can learn from this text. Um, practical things, because that's the other thing, is that um, if it's just a story, I've heard the story a lot, and, I've, and, and we, we, can, we can hear a lot of stories, but if it just stays a story, it doesn't have any power. Like, we need, this, this story, the knowledge of, of who God is and what he can do, needs to leave our brain, where we, we just fill Bible facts, and it needs to travel those 18 inches to our heart, and it change our behavior. And so I'm all about, like, how do we practically live this out? What's something I can do this afternoon or tomorrow morning to put into practice what, what we're seeing here? And I think there's three things. So I'm just going to, we're going to go through these three things pretty quickly. And the very first one uh, is, number one, read the Word. Now that's a good Sunday school answer right there. Read the word. Be in the Bible. Pray. In fact, my kids sing this song. Read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Right? So we know that's like, that's foundational to our our walk with God. We need to be in the word. But do you know why we teach two-year-olds to sing that? Three-year-olds? I don't know. Yeah, my two-year-old sings that. They need to know and hear and understand that the word of God is life to us. We need to feed on the word of God. It just... Our faith needs to be fed a steady diet of the word of God. And I think that there are, there are specific promises that God gives us that we need to be aware of, memorize, and then put those into practice. I think, and it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a, a read it, understand it, claim it, and, and allow the Holy Spirit, Spirit to apply it into specific situations in our life. So I'm going to barrel through 10 promises in scripture. I'm not going to go too quickly. You might write these down. I meant to put them in the bulletin, and that didn't happen. Uh, but I'm, we're going to read through these. I'm going to have you read along with me uh, for some of them. But um, I just want these ten promises. These are God is, is never failing in his promises. But before I read those, there are people in here who are young, like myself, who cannot necessarily attest to all these promises being true in my life. Like, I might not have experienced God working in specific ways like this. It just hasn't come up. So this is why I am full-on plugging discipleship in Ohana groups right now. This is why we need to be in community because I need the testimonies and stories of people who have walked with God longer than myself so that I can hear the faithfulness of God in the lives of other people. 
right? I'm going to have, I have my own stories, and I'm going to get my own as I continue to walk. Like, he's going to show himself and reveal himself to me in ways, but that is, that is why we need to live life in community, because people that, who are coming up the, in the faith behind us need to hear those stories, because it strengthens and grows their faith, right? Telling the story doesn't hurt your own faith either. It's fantastic. Here we go. This is the very first one. This is in Isaiah 41.10, and it just says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that awesome? And we don't need to clap after every single one, but I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> this, this is amazing. Let's, let's read together Philippians 4.19. Okay? Is that one up there? Here we go. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> okay. We better not, because there's 10 of them. <laughs> so all our needs according to the riches of, glory, riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. These are promises of God. Read this with me. This is Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Ready? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. That is powerful. If we remind ourselves this, if we memorize this, then we don't have to remind. The Holy Spirit will remind us at the right time when we need this. He'll pull it out of our toolbox. But first we've got to spend time in the Word to know this. Psalm 84, 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let these promises roll over. You, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23, 6. Let's read this one, James 4, 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, I need that daily. Okay, read this next one. This one's great. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That sums up my entire life right there. Weakness, weakness. And to stay in a place where I am aware of my own weakness so that I rely on God, that's powerful. And to keep reminding, that's when God kicks in. That's when he can work in us, is when, when we are aware and humble before him. And the last one, Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver, me, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalms 50, 15. So that's the first one. So we read God's word. We have to be in God's word. That's to flood us. So you know what? Those, those uh, discipleship groups and ohana groups, that's why we open the word every time. Because we say regularly throughout the week, this is important to me. I spend time in the Word. And, and when I'm discipling people and we're in a discipling relationship growing together, we constantly are asking each other, are you in the Word? Are you in the Word? It's not just because we need to do this thing because Jesus said to do it. It's because we know our walk with God depends on a regular feeding on the Word of God. My faith depends on it. Amen. So that's number one. If we read God's Word and we begin to trust Him for His promises, then we need to act upon the promises, right? Now, number two, we act on the word. Obedience, that's what this is about. This is where the rubber meets the road. Is our faith in God gonna go beyond just that head knowledge and move into behavior change? Like I mentioned earlier, James chapter one says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
James is so black and white, it's so wonderful. Just in case you forget, you have to do what the Word of God says. If you don't, and it just kicks around in your brain, it is useless. We've got to, well, okay, be careful when you say the Word of God is useless anytime. We've got to move it down into our heart where it can affect the way we live. We can't just say, I believe what you say is true either. Acknowledging that it is truth isn't enough. There are specific actions that God is calling us to, and, and a lot of times, he's already, many of us are already aware of what he's asking us to do. I know this is true in my life almost all the time. If you were just to like corner me and go, what has God told you to do that you haven't yet obeyed? I usually have a small list, small to medium list of things that he is saying, I need you to stop doing this. I need you to continue doing this. I need you to start doing this other good thing, whatever it is. And, and for me, and often most of us, we, we will hesitate, we will hold back areas of our life, we will, we will not step out in faith because we're afraid. We give, you fill in the blank what the fear is, but it could be fear of what God is asking. We, we're like counting the cost and we're not sure if we're ready to make that. It is all a reflection of how much faith do we have in the God who created every molecule in your body and holds your life together after he created all of the universe, right? Do we trust this person? Do we think that, do we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that everything he does and says is good for us. We think we know, but everything he says is good. Everything he asks us, all of his commands are good, all of his laws are good, everything he's drawing, the relationships he's drawing us into, they're good for us. That's the place we need to be, or else we'll always be stuck at this obedience thing. And I mentioned knowing God for, for me. Like, n- faith is a byproduct of obedience, that's, that's where some of us, we haven't experienced God because we haven't yet obeyed him so that we can experience him doing things and working through our lives in ways that only he can do. When that happens, I get my own story of God's goodness in my life. And I can stand up and go, guess what happened last week when I trusted God and I, I stepped out in faith and I made that conversation. God showed up and that, con- that relationship is restored, or whatever it is. Like, we get to experience God, but we first have to obey. And we've said this before. But when God speaks, the time to obey is that second. That's not when we go and start praying about it. Like when God speaks, obedience is now. If I tell my daughters, I said this before, but you know, go clean your room. And they're like, okay. And then they don't do that. I meant go clean your room now. I didn't end the sentence with now, but you need to move. And anything else is disobedience. Delayed obedience, you disobey. Go and talk to that person. Go and pray. You know, whatever it is God is doing, he means now. He wants you to do it now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when we read the word and we act on the word, I changed this this morning. So it says get tested by the word, but it's just because I wanted it to all fit the word thing. What, I, what it should just say is anticipate testing. That's what I wanted it to say. Anticipate testing. I should just forget the outline coolness and just go with the words. Uh, we need, to, we need to look for testing. It's going to show up in our life. That's what I'm getting at. Um, in fact, the last, the last few weeks, uh, months even, my walk with God has been, uh, I used a word at the 8 o'clock service, I was just like, bleh, but I was going to try to explain that more than just, my relationship with God has been bleh. Um, it's been less than awesome. I'll just say that. Like, like a, a distance a drifting of my soul from God's, a dryness in my life. My relationship with God is not that intimate, close relationship that I want it to be, right? And it started coming out um, and affecting my life more and more, and God has just recently um, been working on me. So 
I have uh, had some conversations with my wife, let's see over there, where we've been praying about um, just making commitments to God, like just kind of coming back in our relationship, praying together as a family, uh, putting family worship into our, our routines, and just, you know, making God the center again. So essentially, we're recommitting to follow Jesus with everything, right? And I've just been drifting. The minute that happens, the minute you start to take steps to follow Jesus Christ, you can expect there to be trials, tribulations, temptations, right? Because look at this. Satan and his demons want to destroy the work and word of God in your life. If I am an uh, ineffective, bleh, Christian, right? Not really doing anything, not spending any time in his word, not obeying, not acting on the word of God. Satan is like, yeah, I could, I could live with that. He can continue on his way for however long that takes because I'm not, I'm not a threat to Satan and his plan to destroy everything that God creates. But the minute we start to get serious, the minute you start to obey Jesus Christ, when your, your faith moves from a crisis faith to a confident faith to a contagious faith, this guy gets worried. Satan now has an issue with you and the way that you're living your life because who God is and, who he, and what he says he can do is now starting to change the way you live your life, and that's a problem. And so I, I just encourage us all, as we start to take these steps to be in the word of God, know that there's stuff gonna come up to get in the way of that time, right? It's gonna be harder and harder. You're gonna, my kids, I got a kid who doesn't sleep through the night, and it is so hard to get up in the morning or to spend time because I'm just, I'm tired, and so it doesn't matter what it is. There's always going to be something that, gets, that wants to come in between you and your relationship with God. And that is because we are engaged in a spiritual battle over your soul and the souls of people yet to be touched by your influence. Right? God wants to do a work through this church and, and energize and mobilize us for the work that he wants to do in this half of the island or whatever, in your world, in your work. And the only thing that Satan can do is just derail you. He just wants to stop us. So, so you got these first two things. You read the word, you start acting on the word, the Holy Spirit's going to show up and so will Satan. Right? He's just going to be right there to derail. So be, be aware of that. We pray against Satan and, and his demons and, the, and the, the war that's going on. We pray against that God would protect us in that battle. And, and I want to remind us too that not only does God promise that these things are going to happen, but listen to James 1.2. James 1, 2 through 4. This is what he's doing when these happen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That scares Satan right there. If we come out the other side having a stronger faith in Jesus Christ because of what he said he was going to do, uphold us with his victorious right hand, we are victorious in sin ahead of time, we're claiming these promises and the Holy Spirit is showing up and doing stuff, Satan gets worried, right? But that's the goal is that these, God is then working all these things together so that we can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Isn't that amazing? That's the three stages that, that we see in this guy, just going from crisis to confident con- to contagious. And I'm going to have Braden come out and um, just play the piano as I close and pray. But uh, as, as we come together, like, we, we have to then process, now what would life be like if this was true for us? 
If this was true for your life, what would, what would your family look like? How would your relationship with your spouse? I'll tell you, my relationship with my wife would improve greatly if Jesus was at the center of our conversations. If I spent time praying for her more and my kids more, I would look at my kids differently because of the time spent before the Lord. Right? And, then, and I, I tell you, I'm, I'm one who is a task-oriented, non-people person, right? In my, my foundations class, we took our spiritual gifts, personality thing, and like, woo! So we know I'm a, I'm a D over here. And it is a struggle to love people and to, and, and to um, love people, sums up it all, to love people well. And so um, I have to be in constant prayer on my knees before the Lord. The Holy Spirit's the only one who's going to do the work to let me change in that area, right? Does that make sense? Like, I, I will look at people differently because of the time I spend in the Word and obeying the Word. Like, He will do that work in my life. And so what would it be like, whatever it is for you, whatever sphere of influence that you're in, how would your life be different if this faith, taking Jesus at His Word, was the dominant feature of your walk with God? So I, I actually just, we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to pray. Um, just think of those three things, because I think... I have things in all of them, but just pick one that, that you believe or you know that God is, is calling you to make changes in. So number one, it could just be that you need to spend time in the Word. Carve out time. Make sure that you have a sacred space regularly, every day, to be in the Word of God because we know that's the foundation of this whole faith journey we're on. And then two, there's, there's definitely people in here who need to move and act on the word of God. He's already spoken. You already know the area of your life that you're holding on to. The things that you don't really want him to have control of because you're still f- afraid or that's just an area that I really don't want you to mess with. Right? Some of us need to do that. And then finally, there are some people who are going through these challenges, these trials, who, who know they're, being, they're, they're coming under attack because they're following Jesus Christ. And we need to claim the promises that there's absolutely nothing that Satan can do. He already lost. It's like a really boring Super Bowl when you know the end at the, at the beginning. Satan, he just wants to derail us. He knows he's on a losing track, right? And he doesn't have to get you. He doesn't have to get us. So in the middle of those trials, we need to claim these promises and just have God do the work in us to make us mature and complete. All right, so let's just, let's just pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. But be thinking about which of those three that God is speaking to you right now about um, as we pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the things that you are working um, on right now in this room. You are always at work around us always. And I just pray that you would give us eyes to see where you're at work so that we can join you in that whole process, God. I thank you for the lives of the people here who, who know that they need to be following you and committing their life to you and are holding back something. Something is causing them to be afraid or, or uh, there's sin that needs to be confessed, barriers that need to be removed. God, and I just pray that you would work uh, with them right now. God, you know all the struggles, every single hurt and pain that's going on right now. You know um, the individual like sicknesses and, and things that we, we struggle to trust you in. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would apply some of the promises that we've heard today to the lives of this church. God, I pray that you would continue to raise up people who live like this, whose lives are marked by a faith that is contagious. 
that is confident in who you are and what you say you're going to do, God. And I pray that that type of a person would walk out these doors recognizing they're walking into the mission field. There are people who need to see that Jesus in us. They need to to get a first-hand look at the Holy Spirit doing that kind of work. We're messy all the way till we die. We're going to be struggling on this. We have nothing going on that's good in us, God. But I pray that people would see surrendered people who the Holy Spirit is working on. God, I just pray that you would work and continue to meet us all here as we pray right now that your will would be done in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.